how are you doing? Um, I'm Ewan, and as you know, welcome. Well, this is Temp Fans Presents Movements, Scenes, and Genres, or as I'm desperately trying to coin, MSG10. Um, we invite a guest on who will talk us through uh, a genre, a scene, or a, a, a movement in music um, through 10 songs of their choosing. And this is nothing like that island with the discs and the desert it's more like a i don't know rural mountain records um for copyright reasons um before we get started just to let you know again this is a temp fans production and if you fancy spending longer on individual artists there is the temporary fandoms podcast uh where we do just that find it in all the normal places and this show you will be listening to this either as a podcast in which case there's no music because of rights or just go to mixcloud.com slash tempfans and you can hear it for free with all the music we're talking about nice and legally like radio shows like they used to be before we all started to listen to each other's podcasts and realize that we couldn't actually put music on them. Links links are in the thing, in the episode notes, etc., etc. Today's guest will be familiar to anyone who, number one, listens to the Temporary Fandom podcast because she's all over that or anyone that is familiar with the Hong Kong acid jazz scene, particularly in the 90s, um, from back in the day where she was a vocalist for the band Mothership, um, right up to the present where you can hear her vocals on the latest album by Blood, Wine or Honey, which is starting to get some serious airplay in the UK and the US. It is Zoe Von Hess. Hey, Zoe. Hello. Hi. You keep having me back. I don't know why, but I'm not going to say no. <laughs> um, how are you doing? I'm good. Really well, yeah doing really well thank you for asking fantastic um so i mean basically what we're doing today so i mean the brief as i've said before in other parts is, is deliberately wide uh so people can come on and talk about pretty much what they want really we've had people talking about certain scenes or certain venues uh what we're doing today well it's kind of all three it's a movement it's a scene and it's a genre um it's actually 70s to 80s funk soul jazz funk but through a kind of 90s perspective because i'm, I'm, it, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna have to ask a bit of clarity in there so is it 90s perspective because that's when you got into it or was there a revival or well both that's when i got into it probably as the result of the revival that came in the 90s so it actually there was quite a revival of the 70s across the 90s in more than one genre because if you think of like the indie scene like um pulp and uh blur and you know the fashion was very much influenced by the 70s so it was kind of a looking back thing but that also came through as far as um some of the sort of funk and soul genre music people were dancing to that in the 90s if you weren't old enough to remember that or you weren't around to remember that i definitely oh, am i can remember um, and I think I mentioned this on the Temporary Fandoms pod, and you weren't on. I was going to ask you when it was because I thought you might know. There, I remember the one year that everybody got into acid jazz in the UK. There was one year, uh, there was one year everybody, all the indie kids I knew, suddenly all went to acid jazz nights. And we all bought Cordroy albums, and we all did this, and we all had, did that. And then the next year, it was gone. I, I think in 94? I, I was going to say 94. I was going to say 1994. I've seen Corduroy live. They were great. Um, James Taylor Quartet, all those bands. Yeah. Actually, this is, this is totally linked to this. But instead of going through that acid jazz uh, 
sort of catalogue, I thought it would be good to look at the contributions from the 70s and 80s because I feel like I've chosen these tracks not because I wanted to choose like the most obscure or the coolest or this or that the other. I guess my criteria was if I heard this today, would I get up and dance to it? And so definitely with these 10. So actually what's quite interesting is there's lots of tracks that I left out, things like Expansions by Lonnie Liston-Smith and To Be Real by Cheryl Lynn. I mean, I love that song, but I never need to hear it again. And I never need to hear it again on a dance floor. And, you know, there's things like We Got the Funk by Positive Force, World is the Ghetto, George Benson, If You Want Me to Stay by Simon Family Stone, Fate by Shaka Khan, like these iconic, iconic tracks. So a lot of these things have kind of hung around and been played quite a lot. So I wanted to choose things that either were so very special that you can't leave them out or that I still get a kick or a thrill out of hearing them today. And that's totally arbitrary. Arbitrary. It's totally <laughs> oh, biased. Of it's course it is. through my lens. So, you know, you're just going to have to suck it up. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about the scene part um, in a bit, probably a bit later on. Probably a good time to get into the first track. Um, yeah. What is the first track? Why did you choose it? And why is it first? Okay, well, I've actually done it in chronological order, which is a little bit boring. Uh, but it's okay. I every, every, it everybody has on this on the series so far. I think that's just the way. I do. just think it's a nice way to sort of move through the time. Um, so the first track is called Think. It's by Lynn Collins. It came out in 1972. It's on James Brown's uh, People record label. It was written and produced by James Brown, but it's not, you know, like it sounds like James Brown. The backing band is the JBs. But it's got a really strong, amazing female vocal. It's quite sort of women's liberation type era of things. So I, I get a lot of uh, the spirit of that. And it sounds really modern. There's some incredible drumming. I obsess over the tambourine. I mean, a lot of these songs that we're going to go through, they're very much things where I've listened to so many times or so carefully that like I obsess over a hi-hat or when the tambourine comes in or whatever and that's very much a sort of harking back to the times when in the 90s where I really was like just a young person like delighting in music and spending a lot of time listening to it with my friends and you know perhaps staying up too late at night and um yeah like really getting into this stuff so yeah um what else do you want to know about this no that's, that's perfect well what we'll do is we'll probably talk about how you were listening, who you were listening to with after this track. So first of all, we're going to go straight into uh, Lynn Collins and Think. If you're listening to this on your pod player, you'll realise there are no tunes. If you want the free version with all the songs we're talking about, that's mixcloud.com slash tempfans because of copyright reasons, etc. Or there's a Spotify playlist in the show notes. All right, Zoe, so um, obviously every scene, or particularly when you, when you get into a type of music, usually has a location or a venue. Um, was there a specific club or club? Well, there was. There was. Okay, so I grew up in Hong Kong. And at that time in the 90s, Hong Kong was still a British colony. So what would happen is a lot of young British people would come to Hong Kong on a work visa for like a year or two years. They'd come and they'd do bar work and then they'd get munted on the weekend. 
or they'd work in bars and get munted while they were working, this kind of thing, right? So it was a party town. It was um, at that time where dance music was kind of exploding. So it was just, you know, like I, I, I was just at the right age at the right time because I was quite an indie kid up until about age 17. And then I got into house music, house, acid jazz. And so, and I love the dance floor. I love any dance floor. So as far as nights were concerned, what would happen here is because of the lack of space, there weren't so many clubs, but you could go to a club. There was a, a sort of club group called Club 97 and there was a restaurant, there was a, a bar downstairs, and then there was an actual nightclub all connected. So there were definitely nights there. But the night that I'm thinking of in particular was a night put on by a gentleman called Mickey Smith from the UK. And he did acid jazz, funk, soul nights. And he called, they came under the banner of the Rebirth of Cool. So if you saw a Rebirth of Cool thing, you knew Mm -hmm. that that's what you were going to get. There was another night called Funky Times, but I didn't like Funky Times. (laughs) It was a little bit on the cheesy side. It was people... If I'm honest, if I'm honest, and you said to me, hey, okay, so you're here for one weekend, you're here for one weekend in Hong Kong. I've got two options for you. I've got a Rebirth of Cool and I've got Funky Times. I'm not even listening to anything that comes after the word funky times. I'm, I'm at the rebirth of cool. I don't want to do down funky times. I only went a couple of times, but it wasn't my scene. It was like, it was kind of umbrella funky and they would play some funky stuff um, and then they play ABBA. So to me, it was just a little bit, it was just that too much close to school disco. Whereas, although to be fair, Mickey Smith did play some commercial things. I remember he always played Superstition by um, Stevie Wonder, which is amazing to hear on a big system. It's fantastic. But I don't think I need to hear that song again. I've heard that song so many times. It's such an amazing song. But at this point in my life, and, you know, it's been many years now, but there's been more time for this song to be played and heard at this point in my life. don't need to hear it. But anyway, back to Mickey Smith. So because of the lack of space, what would happen is you could approach a restaurant that had a liquor license. And you could kind of take over their club after a certain time. So they do their dinner service. And then they were quite happy for you to get a load of drunk white people in and then make, you know, like amazing takings on their bar. So it was this kind of combination of like, so it's like lack of rest- space. It's just a normal restaurant. And at the end yeah. of a normal restaurant, they just clear stuff out of the way and they, they, they pull you in. It was many, many venues like that. So it wasn't just one place. So it was basically whoever you could talk into letting loads of people come in, have a dance and drink loads of alcohol. And that's the kind of thing it was. So there was a, an Indian restaurant called the Viceroy of India, where they put on great nights up on the peak, which is like this mount, you know, this high mountain in Hong Kong where all the tourists go. And there was a restaurant called Cafe Deco and Mickey got to take that over. And I've got to say that he put on quite a few live acts as well. So he got amazing people out here like uh, Steve Williamson. He got out Gil Scott Heron. I saw Gil Scott Heron here. Um, and all the people like we were talking about, like uh, James Taylor Quartet, Galliano, all these bands and, you know, some real legends. So I just feel so lucky and privileged that I was at the right place at the right time to see a lot of these uh, acts in very, very small venues, like hang out with them afterwards because they just wanted to hang out because they're in Hong Kong. Whereas if I'd seen them in London, I might be there with like 2,000 other people. And also there's, right? no, green, there's no green room or backstage area they can no, go to because it's no a kitchen. Room. It's just a yeah, kitchen. Yeah, exactly. There's nowhere. So we all ended up hanging out. It was 
you know, good time. Question, very good time. Question, question for you. I only ask this because as you're talking about the idea of, of, of hijacking a venue in the evening, around about the mid-90s, a friend of mine said, I'll oh, come back. I'm going to see my parents at the weekend we'll, and we'll go out in Gainsborough, which is some market town I'd never been to in my life. And we went to the club in Gainsborough, which was a snooker hall. And they'd move the snooker tables out of the way. Uh, but because it was a snooker, and we were standing there going, the hell, hell is this place? What was the least appropriate venue that was used that you can remember? Was there ever one you went in and went, is this a, is this a kennel? <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there's this, there's a classic club that everybody used to go to, which was basically what you would call in those days a girly bar, right? So it's basically a place for uh, perhaps, um, it, I don't want to say sex workers because it wasn't exclusively sex workers, but it was definitely people looking to hook up. Okay. And they would have a fantastic Filipino band on. Amazing. Just doing, you know, covers. Wasn't particularly my scene, but cheap drinks, lots of beer and Filipino band. Filipino band would stop at 2 a.m. And then the club kids would descend upon that place. It was called Neptune's 2. And it was like a dark, uh, manky nightclub. So it was actually a nightclub. It wasn't really right. inappropriate, but it was amazing how the scene switched at 2 a.m. Did it switch right? exactly that? Or was yeah. there a bit of overlap of some hanging out? And- it was very little overlap because nobody wanted to go when that kind of thing was still happening. Because, you know, when you're young, you're like, it's so incredibly uncool. Whereas now you'd probably go, oh, I'm just going to go with it. Right. It could be really entertaining. But at that time, it's like, uh-uh, music policy has to be like this, has to be like this. So you would wait until that moment till everyone had cleared out, and then you would go in. And the contrast between the two crowds was kind of amazing. I, I, I sort of imagined, because now it's reminding me, we'll get on to the, the next song in a minute, but um, if anyone who's listening used to go to All Tomorrow's Parties at Minehead, um, which was at Butlins, and yes. it would start on the Friday late afternoon evening, but... Because of the trains, you pro- a lot of the time we'd get there about midday and the holiday makers were usually having their last lunch uh, in the bar. So there was this three hours crossover where the normal sort of Butlins people would be sitting around <laughs> finishing off their mini golf and suddenly a bunch of indie kids and let's be honest, it's all tomorrow's parties, 40 year old ex-indie kids would, would, would stroll in, start getting pints and it was, oh, it was brilliant. Those were yeah, my favourite three hours. Yeah, that sounds really good. I like the idea of that. I mean, another thing about a lot of the venues as well is at the time they stayed open very, very late. So as in like till the daytime the next day. So there's so many memories I have of like it being 10 a.m. on a Sunday. People are going about their day and I'm staggering out into okay, the daylight. Well, what we'll do is we'll get onto the next song and we'll come back to that idea of staggering out into the daylight and importantly where you ended up bars or mm. breakfast or whatnot uh, the next track is there are many songs on this podcast i've never heard or heard of before Manu are you serious yeah no Manu Bango. oh that's good i'm really glad because i felt like oh everybody's gonna know these songs and i i have to remind myself that it really depends like where you were what you were listening to which clubs you went to you can easily miss something so and it can um, even be in the same genre i i yeah. I think I said on this pod before, like, I listened to a certain, I went to an indie nightclub in Wolverhampton and I could tell you exactly what songs were going to come on. And I assumed 
every indie club had exactly the same songs. And then we yeah. went to the Hummingbird in Birmingham, and I was like, "Wait, where's the Lemonheads version of Different Drum? That always comes on." What you're yeah. playing? You're playing the Sugar Cubes. We don't play the Sugar Cubes. Yeah. So I what, can what, totally what? relate to that. Yeah. Okay. So the next song is called Sol Mikosa, and it's by Manu Dibango. It's also 1972, and I'm just kind of. I just think this song is so brilliant. It's so influential. I think when I sent you my notes, there's actually a infographic where you can see the influences and where, you know, essentially it's a very simple song and it's got that chant and how many times it's turned up in other songs. I don't want, we could do a whole episode just on this song. So I'm going to try and keep it brief and, and keep it, you know, as, as succinct as I can. But basically, it's a B-side of a football song. And uh, yeah, was- oh, yeah. You sent, you sent me the thing, and I, I spent five minutes thinking, was it Wittiem? Im de la Wittiem Coupe d'Afrique? D'Afrique? De, de des Nations? That sounds the pretty good. The of the eighth African nation, African Cup of Nations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the B-side for that. So they're having an African football tournament. And the basically... Af- the African Cup of Nations. That's, yeah, that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so, I, sorry, I just went. Um, I'm sorry. I just cor- I just corrected you on on a football tournament, which is a really stupid thing to do. Um, no, no. Did I go? I no, cry. it's the World Cup. It's not the Cup of the World. Uh, <laughs> 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 so yeah, so there was this 1972, uh, the anthem of the African Cup of Nations, and this was just some. It's anthem. on one side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then um, Mano Dibango, who's a saxophonist from Cameroon. Uh, he's kind of singing in his local, I don't know if it's dialect or whether it's actual language, which is Duala. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, and basically, when he, sa- he says, he in the song, he says, Mamako, Mamasa, Mama Makusa. And the word is just Makosa, which means to dance, Makosa. And it's sort of related to like, think, to peel. Something like it's like a dance, like shedding your mm-hmm. your skin. I'm kind of doing the movement here. No one can see me doing it, but it's like I think it's related to that. My limited kind of understanding. So he's just playing around with the sound of that word. So mamako, mamasa, mamakusa, mamako, mamasa, mamakusa. So if you've heard Michael Jackson's "Wanna Be Start," "Wanna Be Starting Something," "Mama Say, Mamasa, Mamakusa," "Mama Say, Mamasa, Mamakusa," that's where it comes from. Ah, I, I couldn't. So I, it I comes couldn't, from. I couldn't place the other. I couldn't place the Michael Jackson in my head. My brain was going. Was it Kid Creole and the Coconuts? What? There yeah, was well, something like that. It's yeah, it's something. It's a. Yeah. It's basically no, it's a child. Jackson, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's right. Michael Jackson. So, so I think what happened with this one is that it was just on a B side. Somebody in New York picked it up. So there, I think at the same time. So there was a DJ who played it. And then uh, there was also a radio DJ who played it. And people started going, oh, this is amazing. And so because they couldn't get hold of the record, because basically it's a B-side to a Cameroonian football song. And, you know, all the copies were kind of bought up and you couldn't get it. So people just started making cover versions of it. So there's loads of cover versions of it out there. But of course, this is the definitive one. So you mentioned like, you know, spilling out at daybreak or, or later than daybreak into the streets of Hong Kong. Um, I mean, as someone who used to go to like indie music nights, usually I was at home or at least at my mate's house by four o'clock in the morning. But the few times I ended up at places where I was sitting in a, a cafe but in Leeds at, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, 
there was an eclectic mix. And some of them were wonderful, lovely people. There was usually one who was a bit aggro, but I think that was also a UK thing. Um, it's the morning. It's a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, whichever, whichever day you are. You're, you're spilling out onto the streets of Hong Kong. Um, where does everyone go? What, what, does everyone, what does everyone eat? You can't be, I'm, I'm assuming it's not bacon sandwiches and, and, and coffee, because that was my coming out of a club thing. It's funny you should say that, because there was always a fish and chip shop fairly nearby that we would end up in. And but also, yeah, of course, there's, you know, there's noodle joints. And the, the thing with Hong Kong is like, at, especially at that time, the city doesn't sleep. There's always somewhere open. Um, there's one place that we still go to now, which is Choi Wa, where you can get this kind of weird fusion food. So you can get lots of Chinese dishes that you might have, but you get this like Western crossover. So you can get a steak and potatoes and you can get like weird sort of baked spaghetti things and it's amazing and it's it, it there's lots of places lots of branches that are open 24 hours I think there's two or three so you could always go there I still go there to this day um but there then at the time I think it was much more like you would find perhaps a dim sum place that was open if you were really hungry you would go go to the fish and chip place but to be really honest with you by 10 or 11 o'clock we were quite ready to go home and we weren't really hungry <laughs> to, be, to be really honest um and we would sleep it off and then you know eat the next day when we got up and there was a you know a, what it was it always was that thing i mean you can imagine what would happen after funky times because funky times <laughs> where people really got really got dressed up got really funky times really never drunk. end <laughs> funky times <laughs> is still going that club night is still there i, you I know, think, and I'm, they quite, would, I think yeah, I'm quite glad on. i think i'm quite glad that the days i was you know, still up and at my mate's house at, I don't know, 9 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. Weather spoons didn't exist, or there wasn't mm. more than one weather. Because if we'd had an easy, we could go in and just grab a slice of toast and we could have a, we could have a pint at 8 30. Exactly. You morning. could just keep going, couldn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The idea, the idea now scares, scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to, you've already mentioned, um, you talked about some of the artists that were brought to Hong Kong, and Gil Scott Heron was one of them. And this is your next choice. Yes, it is. It's it's not the most obvious one because I think a lot of people are familiar with the revolution and will not be televised. There's winter in America. Uh, is that off winter in America? I can't remember. Um, don't ask me facts today. I've just spent the whole day cleaning out my kids' bedroom, and that was taxing. Uh, being ineffectual. Can I ask you facts with... about your? Can I ask you facts about your kids' bedroom, or is that a different podcast? You can ask me <laughs> facts about my kids' bedroom. That I could answer. When uh, what album this is from? I probably couldn't, but I do know it came out in 1974. It was on the Strata East label, and what I like about Gil Scott Heron is that he's quite conscious with his music, and he also has this brilliant quote where he said, "Pop music doesn't necessarily have to be shit," and I really, really agree with that. It's like just because you're making pop music and people dance to it, it doesn't mean that you have to dumb everything down. And that's what I really love about this song. It's got, you know, a sort of, it's socially conscious. It's funky as hell. I would still dance to this today. And yeah, it speaks for itself. And it's got a great tambourine on it as well. I'm obsessed about the tambourine and the bass. <laughs> um, Google, Google, Google's telling me it's winter in America. Oh, I did say winter in America. Yeah. It, I've still got it. it. hasn't left me. <laughs> Somewhere in the recesses of my mind. 
And Google's also telling me um, that only because like, the page is still open that it, this was ranked number 92 in enemies list of the top 150 singles of all time. Hmm. That I, I would probably put it a bit higher, but yeah, that, I'm glad it's getting the recognition that it is. Well, it's time for everybody else to listen to one of Q Magazine's... I'm just reading Wikipedia now. Uh, it's time to listen to one of Q Magazine's 1,010 songs you must own. Uh, so, sorry, you, you mentioned that you... Uh, well, you grew up in Hong Kong, and obviously this is a, this is a, a scene, uh, particularly a genre of music you experience through this Hong Kong filter. Um, paint a, if you could paint a picture for us about... What sort of international access to music did you have? I mean, I know it sounds like a really weird question, but back in the 90s, before the internet, uh, I mean, did, was Hong, did Hong Kong as a British colony have Radio 1? I mean, I, where did you hear stuff? Was it at these nights for the first time, or was there a record scene or radio or whatnot? Sure. I mean, obviously, it was quite limited. Before the 90s, so say 80s, growing up in the 80s, we had radio, we had um, English language radio. So we would have a bit of BBC World Service, but just limit, quite limited. So there wasn't a lot of music. There was no Radio 1. We had a commercial radio, which would play UK and US charts. So really it was just chart music. And I remember that very you know, distinctly from like the late 70s onwards, that you could access chart music. But anything outside of that was quite obscure, unless it was like jazz or classical. Because there, there's always someone in Hong Kong that like opens a shop that has like some weird, you know, you can find a weird like jazz record shop in Hong Kong if you wanted to. Um, so as we got into the 90s, of course, people were coming over. Like I said, people were coming over and working. So they were bringing their mixtapes over or they were talking, they're bringing some records over. And so there was a fair kind of amount of cultural exchange. But you've got to remember, like the general public were not interested in this. This is like, you know, most people listening to Canto Pop or whatever in, in, in Cantonese. So there wasn't really that much interest in Western music. There was a small pocket of people, local people, who were kind of into it, but it was mainly fueled by what we call expats, who, what I call you know, economic migrants, mm. um, <laughs> you know, because essentially that's what they were. And it was kind of interesting with people coming in, and obviously culturally I, I'm, I'm quite British because I went to a British school and my family are from the UK but also I'm quite lo I'm local as well so I would watch people come in kind of Brits abroad kind of vibe mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying sometimes oh, yeah. behaving quite badly sometimes being quite racist so it was quite interesting to be in a different space to that being not quite local not quite Brit abroad and being in the middle of that and how this kind of translates through to music is is that it was harder to access things. And I did feel quite fussy about what I was listening to. And I did feel that I wanted to go to a night like the Rebirth School because I knew that people wouldn't be really fucking racist. Because if somebody's playing, you know, if a, a black man is playing mostly black music, you know that the people who are going to go there are not going to be. It's, it's not like, you know, it's not a bar. They, you, yeah. Somebody could still go there and be racist, I'm sure. But it just means there's less of a possibility. And I think that was definitely part of the attraction of this night. Um, whether I really kind of knew that at the time, I think it was more of a subconscious thing. Whereas now that I'm older and more aware, I think, wow, how lucky I was that this this was here for me. Um, but 
it was interesting what you said earlier about your indie night when you went to a different indie night how the songs were different and I also got a bit of this because I was I was in my 20s I was you know relatively privileged in the sense that I could work earn money and then buy a cheap ticket and go and fly to say London because I really wanted to see an act there or go to a night there and then I sleep on someone's sofa it wasn't you know it wasn't very glamorous at all and then I'd come back and then I'd work for another six months and then go and sleep on a friend's sofa in Sydney so I did get to hear that in different places there were different takes on this scene but there were definitely songs that I heard more than once and the first time I heard uh, this next song coming up running away by Roy Ayers was at Mickey Smith's night but I also heard it in other places and I remember going up to the I hassled the poor bloke so many times I go up and go what's this what's this because that was the only way that you could find out what song was by going having a look or asking the DJ and I feel so sorry for him now and all the DJs that I hassled I'm going to apologize right now that I drunkenly hassled said can you play this can you do that but you know I'm obsessive about music and I wanted to know. So I asked about this song and he said, you don't know who Roy Ayers is. And he like tutted and rolled his eyes and then showed me the record or the CD or whatever it was. And, you know, I I have a look back. I've seen him live four times. I think he's amazing. I think he's really underrated. And yeah, I love anything by him. And that's why I've pretty much put two of his tracks on this 10 today. And this one is... This is Running Away by Roy Ayers, now out in 1977. Yeah. So when you sent me through the list of songs, um, one of them, the next track, we're just going to go straight into the next track, um, was um, War and Galaxy. So I opened up YouTube and, and the album cover or the image that comes on just reminded me of something like The Kids from Fame, but slightly further back. It was the most New Yorky. it might not be New York, but it really looks like New York scene, with, with just this huge bunch of people out on the street sort of posing for, for, the, for the picture. Um, pretty with, damn like cool, said, huh? They're very, very, very cool. cool. Yeah, pretty um, damn cool. And also, I, I realized I knew it, but I didn't. My brain was like, oh, I don't know. This is, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. It's this. Why, why a war on? Why a war on? That's really well, hard to say. This, I think it's interesting because the track is called Galaxy, but the refrain is out of sight, out of sight, right? So I always thought it was called out of sight. And I remember hearing this at Mickey Smith's night as well. He played some really great tracks. Um, he's still going, you know. He play, he's he got a place. I think Mickey, it's in We're Packers. talking Mickey Smith. Yeah, Mickey. The, the DJ. He is still, He's. I think he DJs under Jazzhead Chronic. So he's doing festivals at the moment. And he's got a place in London called the CLF Art Lounge and Roof Garden. So he's still doing this. He's still playing excellent music. And I think it's got like food and cocktails. And so if you're in London, you've got to go check it out. I haven't been yet. But as soon as I can get back to London, get back to the UK, I'm going to go have a look. But anyway, so I heard this Galaxy by War, which I think came out in 1977. But I also heard it in kind of like my second dance life in the 2000s. At parties that were put on by a group of people called the Lucky Cloud Sound System. And basically, there's a very famous DJ from New York called David Mancuso. And a lot of these tracks, like he was instrumental in, in getting um Sol Macossa played, right? So he he plays he played this at his nights right up until very recently. He's passed away now. But I ended up going to these nights in London, and they were a very similar vibe where 
music is excellent um really nice mixed crowd uh when i say mixed i mean like young people and old people um there's like a vegetarian buffet beforehand kids can go in until seven o'clock it was amazing and they're still doing them they're still doing these parties but obviously due to corona there's been limitations i don't know if they're so frequent but it was great because i knew the song from then and i feel like i heard it again played out again and that's why i had to include it and yeah it's just a great track it's very long quite a jam Um, so, so you mentioned the last track was something that came back in your second dance life. Uh, but a lot of these tracks were ones that maybe you first heard, well, we're talking 25 years ago on average now, which is quite a while back. Um, you still make music. Um, you, you still play instruments. You still sing. You're, you're, which of this scene would you say still influences you um, in the stuff you make today? Well, I think at the heart of it, I think making people dance is an amazing thing to be able to do. And if I could make more dance music, I would. If I want to link it to this next track, okay, so let's say Love Will Bring Us Back Together by Warriors came out in 1979. I do have a question. I do have a question. Um, Oh, yeah. Just because this is 1979 and it's Love Will Bring Us Together. Did this come out before or after Love Will Tear Us Apart? Because I'm trying to work this out. I'm staring at it thinking they are too close for it to be an accident. I think it might have been before. I could be wrong. Because it might feeling. There's no way by accident you have love will bring us together and love will tear us apart in about the same year. It does sound like Royales did this or this became a song, and then Joy Division went. Uh, uh, no, it really no. could be. I mean, like he's very much psychedelic, psychedelic jazz funk kind of background. You know, he's like. I think he's born in California, Royers, and I really get the sense of this, like, sort of not necessarily free love, but like love and consciousness, and yeah, and he, he's got that kind of vibe. So I don't yeah. know if it would have that connection. I feel like it exists in a very different world, but mm. you may be right. It might just oh, be I'll like I'll oh. be googling it while we listen to it. But <laughs> oh yeah, you do that. You do that absolutely. But I guess like what I really like about this track is that. Okay, so the drums are absolutely held down by Bernard Purdy, who's just an incredible, incredible drummer. But it's almost like this is like a proto-house song. It's like if you speeded it up a bit, it could be a house track. And so even though this is from 1979, I feel like the thread of it continues and it continues through time. So it's like free house and then there's house music and then there's electronic music. And there's, you know, I actually I do listen to a lot of current stuff. I don't just listen to this. I, I'm not kind of obsessed with the music from my 20s. When I hear it, I feel very nostalgic and, and very kind of, I feel so happy that, you know, a lot of the music of, of my sort of young adulthood is so like quality and that I can listen to it now. And I don't feel like embarrassed or ashamed or, I mean, I feel old, you know, I'm sure young people today would listen to this and go, well, yeah, you know, my kids say this is old music, but I genuinely feel like, I got I got so lucky to have such yeah. good quality music that I can still appreciate today and I can still dance to today. Okay, well let's um let's let's get back into Roy Ayers. Um so I mean <laughs> we talked a little bit about 
And by talked about, we sort of avoided funky times, um, which I know you're not going to diss, but it does sound awful to me. But <laughs> the idea of having this, this scene, particularly based around certain nightclubs or certain areas, is things drift in and out. Um, I, mean, I use the word the indie scene of indie clubs in the 90s, but there were dominant, some were more rocky than others, some were more funky than others, some were more uh, shoegazy than others, whatever. What was the predominant genre in this group of genres, or was it just totally eclectic and it was just cool? Well, I think it was, I think it was quite eclectic and it really depended on the DJ. I mean, I really just, uh, as far as I remember, there were other people doing similar things, but Mickey's Miss Night was the one where I felt the most satisfied with in, in the sense that I got a bit of everything. But I guess the main genre, there was like a lot of funk and a lot of jazz. So there were lots of um, like instrumental tracks, anything that was like super funky and had a really strong, you know, beat or rhythm was kind of the focus. And then mixed in with that was all the 90s groups. So people like Galliano once again, and there was Jamiroquai. No. Oh, I, 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 I have a massive soft spot for Jamiroquai um, in the fact that when I put him on in the last few years, I went, actually, this is quite good. Um, at the time, yeah. there was a hat and there was the there. But, but what, I think this is interesting because what you're describing to me was that year that everyone got into acid jazz in Wolverhampton. We, there was a club. Uh, my mates had the club. Um, one of my mates may have played slap bass guitar over most of the songs, but they still <laughs> had this club. Um, nice. And it was that thing. There was the classics and the obscure classics, and yes. then there'd be Mother Earth, or there'd be, yeah, uh, Earth, like yeah. I said, Cordroy or Galliano would be yes. would be in. It it wasn't five hours of acid, of modern acid jazz. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, it was very much a mix, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because I'm I'm. I'm not so sure if that's so common anymore. You've got stuff from like the late seventies and then mixed in with something that was made that year. So it was quite an interesting time. And then also sort of adjacent to that was their lounge that kind of, do you remember that exotica sort of lounge music thing? So that was, that was popular as well. It's like easy listening. Oh, okay. And okay. so you'd have things like Mike Flowers pops mixed in with some like seven, sixties uh, Moog music. So so that would be like the Thursday night chill out thing where you'd go and get drunk on martinis. And once again, it was kind of amazing because there would be that night that you could go to and it was in a hotel bar. It's in like the oh, Ritz Carlton nice. Hotel, in the basement. And so you'd have this like very fancy hotel and then you'd go there and you could get, you know, like two for one martinis for like seven quid. So everyone was messy. Yeah, yeah, no. And there was this amazing soundtrack to it all. So once again, I feel like it, it, it was like the right place at the right time and it didn't last and it's gone forever. So it's kind of beautiful. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about like this mix of, of stuff from the 70s and stuff from the then present, the 90s. And yes. I've been trying to think when I went to sort of indie rock clubs, the doors might come on, maybe possibly a Jimi Hendrix track. You might get maybe 10, maybe 10 right. songs from the 70s. The 80s was only 10 years ago, so you'd probably get stuff coming in. However, yeah. I'm thinking now, and I'm thinking, I did go to, I think I went somewhere 10 years ago, and it was mainly early 90s stuff they were playing. There was a lot of the Nirvanas, and yeah. and, and, then, and then the Blurs came in. I was thinking, yes. 
Yeah, so I think maybe indie rock, you have that. I think maybe in the sort of jazz funk, that sort of works. I can't imagine many pure dance clubs getting away with it because styles change quite drastically, yeah, right? they do. And I, I'm just, I, I just can't really think of anywhere where they're kind of doing that today. Um, but, you know, I'm not a, loving as often as I used to. I'm here's some trance, here's some hardcore. And, oh, here's some big beat. That, 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 that don't seem to work together in my head. Yeah, um, no. Anyway, when you sent me this list through, I do- took a double take. Because as a lad from Wolverhampton, I thought you wrote, you wrote the word slay. And I went, Oh, what? I'm sorry to disappoint <laughs> you. It's, it's Slave. And the song's called Just a Touch of Love. It was out in 1979. And this is sort of like another part, like another sort of section of my life where I'm not sure if I heard it in the, in the 90s. I definitely heard it in the late 90s, 2000s in Australia, which was another place where I lived. Um, and once again, another amazing DJ, you know, Everything he used to play to me, I, I pretty much loved. And he, I remember hearing this song and, and not making the connection that it's Steve Arrington. He's kind of like a soul singer, but he's kind of interesting because his voice is really distinctive and it's not smooth and, and R&B-ish like you might think. There's something else going on there. Then I remembered that I'd heard some of his stuff from the 80s when I was quite into chart music. I never made the connection. You know, he was the lead singer from this band in the 70s, heard him in the 80s, and then I hear him in the sort of late 90s to 2000s, and it's the same guy. So I just think it's a, a really fantastic track. Every, Almost every track on here, you could really literally do an hour talking about that track. And the bass is incredible, and the players, you know, and yeah. All right, well, this, it, it was Slave, sadly not Slade, and Just a Touch of Love. Um, one of the, the themes that seems to crop up when we're talking about music uh, on this pod and other pods um, is sampling or sometimes outright theft. Um, this seems to be a, a genre rife for artists of the later in the late 90s and the early noughties to just basically lift and for what was sampled to become famous in a new context, but the original just is never heard of. I mean, when you sent me the list and I saw the words Edwin Birdsong, I thought it was just one of those random random word generator names. I'd literally never heard of who, who this was. But when I listened to the track, I went, oh, okay, that's... Uh. So, so what have we got now? Okay, so this is Cola Bottle Baby by Edward Bir- Edwin Birdsong. came out in 1979. Most people will probably know it because it was sampled by Daft Punk and therefore it was then reappropriated again by Kanye. So that's how you might know the riff. But actually, Edwin, Bir- Edwin Birdsong, God, I keep saying his name wrong. He produced uh, and co-wrote Running Away by Roy Ayers. So a lot of these things are connected. Like, you know, I really just at that time, I chose music that I liked using my ears. No Google, you know kids these days they don't know like, i couldn't even buy the records i had to go oh, to a night this, to hear it is, and dance to it right i couldn't even this, get the hold of this stuff this was something that came up on a, a different episode um that i i said uh, one of our guests paul hanley i think when i said that I, said I was talking to a, someone in their late 20s i think it was actually i was talking to someone in their early 20s about the idea that if i if i had music that i really liked 
and I wanted you to listen to it, I would, number one, physically hand it to you where you would borrow it. And number two, I couldn't listen to it until you gave it me back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's quite a giving act, really, isn't it? You know, it, it, it meant so much more. I can yeah. send you a, 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 you know, a YouTube link now. That, that's how easy yeah. it is. So, I mean, I don't really want to, you know, times change and I get it. And I know that, you know, actually, I still very much love physical product, but I just think it was it was hard and it was hard to kind of know and have the knowledge of these songs. So you really just had to go by what appealed to you when you heard it and what appealed to you on the dance floor. And quite a lot of these tracks, I never even knew what they were. And it took me like 20 years to eventually find out. So I think this is probably the most obscure. Um, in the sense that you probably wouldn't have heard this track out at the time. But it's very much linked because he worked with Royers and the sound of it is amazing. It's just an amazing, amazing track. I've said this about all the tracks, but it really <laughs> is an incredible track. And Daft Punk certainly thought it was, and so did Kanye. So I'm, I'm having that. All right, so sometimes there are songs, or song titles, that instantly evoked something in my head. Um, I wasn't aware of this next track, but the title, Funkin' for Jamaica, sounds like a charity record for me. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I can see. I can like, definitely disaster, see how you would... There's been yeah. a problem. Yeah, it's like, a bit lively. Funkin' for Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I, I, I can totally see how you would come to that conclusion, but it's actually not. It's by this guy called Tom Brown. He was a trumpet player. I think he might have passed away now. I might have to check that. God, if he hasn't, I feel bad. Um, but this is from 1980, so we're, we're into the next decade. But it's very much that kind of jazz funk thing. I remember hearing it out, and I would. it starts with like a trumpet note. And I remember being in the club and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you hear that trumpet and I might be sitting down or getting a drink at the bar and then you'd run to the dance floor because it's starting up and it's just, you know, it's a very funky record and it's very nice to dance to. Being sampled loads, but very much a one hit wonder. I, I think the, the title is actually written about the area of New York that Tom Brown came from. It's called Jamaica. So oh, it's okay. nothing to do. Obviously, it has more than one meaning. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It could be. Related to, obviously, it's related to the country Jamaica, but it wasn't in any charity. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> when you talked about, when you just talked about the idea of you'd hear this long trump, or no, just trumpet, and you got other songs coming, did the DJs ever do that thing where they'd sort of play the trumpet halfway through the previous track to go, oh, it's coming, but then they wouldn't start the song? Because this was something they always did with. Um, Primal Scream, like you'd hear, what is it you want to do? About 10 minutes before you heard the fucking song, but you'd yeah. hear that and you knew it was, you knew it was, a tease. It was coming. It was yeah, a it's tease. a teaser. I think there was definitely those kind of techniques going on. I don't remember it specifically happening for this one, but definitely there was that. And then, of course, like when I got into drum and bass, you have the rewind, which is very a similar yeah. idea yeah, where sure. like, oh my God, is this track? And then they rewind it and then you get to do it all <laughs> over again. So I do very much understand that that technique and I, I do really like it actually now we're going to listen to Funkin for Jamaica and if you want to donate to the, the Jamaica Funk Fund the number is on your screens below um, earlier we talked about funky times 
and how they'd play some funky tunes and then ABBA would come on, for example. Um, I remember being really disappointed. Like, I think I went to some I know, alternative nights in Dublin when I was living in Ireland later. And there seemed to be no proper set order, I guess. You'd have Nirvana uh, followed by R.E.M., followed by um, some, some bubblegum indie pop. Followed, and I remember thinking, no, no, it, you have three or four songs of, of a style so that people would get up and go, I'm dancing. I'll dance to this. I'll dance to this. I'm going to sit down. Um, oh, yeah. How, was, how did that replicate itself if it did? Um, at these at these clubs, was it you're dancing all night, or was it okay? Here's a bit of something you don't like. Take a breather. Well, you you know you can't possibly dance tonight. Well, I couldn't. I tried my best, but obviously there were songs I didn't like, and and I'm a fussy bitch, you know. Like I I I tried to get the, as close as I could to what I really wanted to hear, and for me that was that one night, and that was my complaint about funky times. That this this you know I'm intolerant. If there's like music that I don't like or I find bad, I can't. It physically hurts me. So I couldn't actually enjoy those nights. But also at Mickey Smith's nights, I didn't love everything. You couldn't love every track. And yeah, you do need to have a, a sit down even, you know, at that young age. But also these nights would start at like, nobody went out before midnight. You know, they would start very, very late. And um, I found a flyer recently and it says like it had, obviously there was DJing and there were live bands on as well. And it was like 1.30 a.m. start, 9 a.m. finish with breakfast served at about 8 a.m. And it's like the idea of doing that now fills me with horror. Like, I, I, live in, I, I live would in Spain. die. So I, I live, would die. I, I live in the south of Spain and um, there's a band who I've loved for the last six years and I've never seen them live. They're a band called Heinz, all-girl band from Barcelona. Um, annoyingly, they played Brighton, where I used to live four or five times since. And they were going to play in Seville. And I, they went, okay, Seville, blah, 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 support Axel this time. Heinz will be on at 2.30 in the morning. Right. I remember looking again, I'm going to go. And yeah. then it was like a work drink thing. And I just I fell asleep on the couch when I got home. But I looked and went, what do you mean 2.30 in the morning? This is, not, this is not the time for a concert. This is oh, the time it's... for the post-concert. If you want to do something, great. But some of us. It's so uncivilized, but then I have to remind myself it's not for me anymore. My time yeah, yeah. has been and gone, and, and that's it. And, and and I'm okay with that. So yeah, so you know, like it, it, that sort of call of with that trumpet from Funky to Jamaica was like the key, you know if you'd been sitting down for a bit, that was the cue to get back to work, yeah. get back to that dance floor, and like you know make it make it work, make it happen on the dance floor. Okay, so um, we're going to move into our last track. And we, we've had a couple of very obscure artists, um, but we're definitely not in the obscure territory anymore. We've got, we've got Womack and Womack. We've got Womack and Womack, but it's not Teardrop. It's not that one. Sorry. Which is a great, <laughs> I love that song too. I, I, no, no, lovely, lovely performance. Um, Baby, I'm Scared of You. This is, it's not obscure, but it's not the one that people go to. It's a little bit smooth. It's actually almost a bit too smooth for me in the beginning. But because it's like got like a long, like sort of filthy jam at the end, it gets quite, you know, a little bit dirty. I love it. Um, and I am a sucker for, in pop music, for weird lyrics or unusual lyrics. And the 80s were a really good time for that because there were people like Green Guts, like putting, you know, really long uh, words in, 
into music and there was some song craft you know mm -hmm. i'm not gonna say like it's not like that anymore people are still doing it it's just that it was a bit more kind of accessible perhaps to everyone at that time i'm not going to say the word mainstream because i don't mean mainstream but i love a, a strange lyric and the lyric in this one is that she goes like little red riding hood you're the fox and it always makes me laugh because there's no fox in Little Red Riding Hood. It's a wolf. And I just get a kick out of it every time. It makes me smile. So I don't know if they did that on purpose because it's brilliant. Well, that was track 10. Um, we have been listening to a sort of 90s soul, revi soul funk revival, um, predominantly seen through the lens of clubs in Hong Kong during the 90s with our guest Zoe Von Hess. Um, Zoe, before we find, do the final wrap-up, is there anything you want to plug? Um, well, I'm actually, I don't really want to plug it because it's not mine personally. I did do a bit of vocals on it, but there's an album by a band called Blood, Wine or Honey that I sang on recently. They're on Bandcamp. They've made this album, which I think is kind of amazing. I mean, I'm biased because I'm on it. I'm only on a bit of it, though. Um, they've just made a just a brilliant album and I'd love for people to go and hear it. And then you can also hear what I do sort of semi-professionally as well. That's Perfect. it really. Thank you. I will put the, the specific link in the thing we do thing we do below. Um like I said, feel free to subscribe um if you haven't subscribed already. If you've listened to this and you have been going, well, what's all this music? And we haven't heard any music mixcloud.com slash tempfans there's also the temporary fandoms podcast and most importantly if you could leave a review um somewhere or tell somebody that would be great but really reviews are really good thank you very much um all right well zoe thanks very much thank you so much thanks for having me i can't believe once again i get to come and waffle on chat shit about my favorite songs so great that's why, that's why we're here all right take care of yourself Bye. Thank you. Bye.